Why don't we just stay standing in honor of God's word? So we don't have the screen today because something's going on with the technology. And I was not prepared for it, so I don't have my reading glasses. So we're going to find out what happens. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 29. We are back to the story. Um, the, The time that this incident is written There have been two sieges of Babylon. There's been two groups in Babylon, and Nebuchadnezzar made Zedekiah the new king, and Jeremiah is still in Jerusalem, but he writes a letter to those that are already in Babylon, and he gives them instructions from the Lord. And here we go, Uh, Jeremiah 29, verse 4. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them, and plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and become the fathers of sons and daughters, and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands, that they may bear sons and daughters, and multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on their behalf. Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for in its welfare you will have welfare. When 70 years have been completed for Babylon, I will visit you and fulfill my good word to you to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for calamity, to give you a future and a hope. You will seek me and find me when you seek for me with all your heart. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your great love. Lord, you have a burning message today. Lord, you have graciously given it to me. Lord, now we need you to deliver it. Lord, please hide me behind the cross so that we can hear what the Spirit is saying to the church and not be distracted by man. Have your way in this place. Holy Spirit, fill this place and have your way in every heart here, I pray. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. Amen. You may be seated. So the title of the message is Living in Exile. I want to talk today first about why this passage to Jewish exiles in Babylon a thousand years ago, a couple thousand or three thousand years ago, is so applicable to us today. It turns out that to understand your life right now, to understand what you're doing on this planet right now, you need to understand that you are living in exile right now. What, what, what are you talking about? First Peter chapter 2. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day 
he visits us. Peter said, you're living on this earth. You're living among people, but you're not from here anymore. You've been born from above. You you belong to God. Your citizenship is in heaven. We'll read that in a moment. You're not from here. You are to do good here. You're to glorify God here. You're 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 to show him forth, but you need to understand you're living as an exile. Listen to Philippians 3, 20. But our citizenship is not in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ. So, today we, or or this weekend is is 4th of July weekend, and we thank God for America. We thank God for the price that was paid. We got the flag up here. We, We thank God for this country. But it is really important that you don't make an idol of America. It's very important that you recognize your citizenship is not in America. It's in heaven. We, we are living here. We are praying for this city. We are blessing this, this place because if it's blessed, we're going to be blessed. But we're not from here. We, we've got a citizenship somewhere else. America is not the answer for the world, folks. Jesus is the answer for the world. It's really important that we have that clear in our mind. When things go wrong, when things are hard, when things are difficult... Don't have your identity wrapped up in America because that's not where our citizenship is from. Hebrews 11, 13 through 16. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. So this is Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. When we were down in, Belize, one of the messages that, that I preached was called Living Ready for His Return. It turns out that the greatest work of this life is to live ready for His return. Jesus described His return and He said some... Some are going to be living, waiting expectantly for a bridegroom to come from heaven. And Jesus is coming back as the bridegroom and he's taking his bride and we will be with him forever. And he said others are going to be surprised by a thief because they weren't living ready for his return. Here's what Jesus said to his own disciples. Remember Lot's wife. What is the significance of Lot's wife? She's part of the group that's leaving the city. She's part of the group that's coming out. But then she looks back because her identity is not in God. It's back here. It's back in their things. 
See, the disturbing thing about Luke 17, and Jesus talks about what was going on at the days of Lot. He says this, people were eating and drinking, they were buying and selling, they were planting and reaping, they were building. None of these things are bad. They're marrying and giving them. None of this is bad. Here's the problem. That's all they were doing. That's where their identity was. There was no room for God. They were filled with this life and the things on this life. And this life had taken away their identity in God. Let me tell you who the true you is. It says that Christ is risen from the dead. This is Colossians 3.1. So he has raised you up. So seek the things above. For your life is hidden with God in Christ. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things of earth. Because your true identity is hidden with God in Christ. This is the real you. God says, while you're in Babylon, seek me with all your heart. Because I'm still your identity. Even though you're living in Babylon, I am your true identity. So the church has had trouble relating to this world. How do we relate? How, do, how can I be a Christian? How can I be all in for Jesus and still live in this world? How do I think about it? What is the lens that I go through? I just, I got this out of a book. So... I'm not taking credit for it. It's not fortification where we hide from the Babylonians. It's not domination where we fight the Babylonians to try to take over. It's not accommodation where we blend in to the Babylonians and lose our identity in God. But Jeremiah 29 gives us the lens of how to live in this world as people, the people of God. That we are to keep our identity in God, make sure our identity is in God, and then we are to bless this world. We're to pray for this world. We're to live in this world. We're to build houses. We're to have children. We're to have jobs. We're supposed to pray for this country, the country we're living in, because if it's blessed, we'll be blessed. We are to contribute while we're here without taking on the identity of this world. So back in the mid-90s, there were two things happening at the same time in, this, in, the, in the Christian world. One was Willow Creek. Willow Creek was this church, still is, down in... Uh, Chicago, and it just exploded, and it, it had this message of becoming sensitive to seekers, and the main message, Bill Hybels is kind of the head of the movement, the main message was this, <clears throat> stop hiding from the world. Stop hiding behind religious phrases. and re The world can't even, they come to church and there are so many religious things we've set up that, that they're all become barriers to Jesus. So let's stop being religious. Stop getting religious lingo and all the stuff that's unnecessary and let people come to church 
and actually see and be able to respond to Jesus Christ and not just religion that we have set up. And so that was one movement, and God was blessing it and all kinds of seeker-sensitive churches. Well, at the very same time, there was another thing happening, and that was Toronto. Toronto was revival. Toronto was seeking God's presence, making God welcome, and it was, it, God was coming in such de- demonstrative, miraculous ways and powerful, and, and so the church was kind of split. What, which is it? is it? Is it the Bill Hybels thing, or is it the Toronto thing? What, what should we be about? And right, and it, there was so much, so many strong opinions of that day, of which one was right, this is the way, not this way, this way, and an old, uh, wise YWAM leader named Dean Sherman spoke at our national convention that year. And he said, he said which, which of these is the, is the right one? He said, let me, let me submit to you the possibility that both are the right one. And he read this story of the wedding at Cana of Galilee. That Jesus and his disciples are invited to a party. There's going to be a wedding. And they go to the party. They don't isolate themselves. They don't, we're not about the party. We're just, we just stay in church. No, they're out in the public. They're at the party. And while they're there, Jesus performs his first miracle. So here was what Dean Sherman said. Be at the party and do miracles there. Go to the wedding. Be accessible. We are supposed to be in the world. We're supposed to be at jobs. We're supposed to be with relatives. We're supposed to be at school. We're supposed to, we're in the culture. But we're, while we're there, we're bringing God's presence. We're bringing the surprise of heaven. We're bringing the beauty and the power and the presence of God unashamedly wherever we go. So Jeremiah gives this, he writes this letter, but the guy who lives this out in such a beautiful way is Daniel. Daniel and his friends, they were in the the first exiles, and we can learn so much from them about how to honor God in an ungodly culture. And so this is point two. Daniel and his friends are brought up in Babylon. They go to a Babylonian school. They learn the Babylonian literature. They know the stuff of the Babylonians better than the Babylonians do. They're 10 times smarter because God's helped them to understand that culture and that literature and that framework. But they don't leave their identity in God at the door. They don't push God on the Babylonians, but they bring God with them. I'm going to read Romans 12 too. Here, here's our translation. NIV it would be, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by renewing of your mind. Here's the Phillips translation. I just love this. Do not be squeezed into the world's mold. And what we see with Daniel and his friends is the power of darkness to try to... S- squeeze them into the world's mold. In chapter one, 
Nebuchadnezzar changes their names. Their, all of their original names have the name of God in it, and the new names all have the names of, of Babylonian gods in their names. And he's, he's changing their name. He's trying to squeeze them to get them to be part of his thing and lose their identity in God. He changes their food. All of the meat back then was sacrificed to idols. And so Daniel's like, he's like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to participate in that. And he goes to the leader and he says, test us for 10 days. And it says, because Daniel had purposed in his heart to not eat the king's food. And God gave him favor and they passed the test and surely it's over. No, a couple chapters later, it's his three friends now are tested. And he's got this 90-foot idol of gold, and everybody has to bow down and worship it. And, and the, but the three friends won't bow down. But Nebuchadnezzar, and the, the world is like this. Hey, we like you guys. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we like you. We want you to fit in. We want you to be part of us. So guess what we're going to do for you, because we like you so much? We're going to give you another chance to bow down. In fact, we're going to turn up the furnace seven times. And so you've got, you got a lot of reasons to bow down right now. And you see what the world's doing? trying to squeeze them into their mold. You cannot be different than us. You have to be like us. You have to bow down to what we bow down to. And if you don't, we are going to make your life very miserable. Solid in God. Like, hey, you do whatever you want to. Our God is able to deliver us, and he will. But even if he doesn't, we're not going to sail. We're not bowing. We, we have it in Daniel 6 where they falsely accuse Daniel, and it's all about him praying, and, um, and they, they change the law of the land so that it's now you can be in prison for praying to God. You, you, you have to pray to Nebuchadnezzar, or to, uh, at that time, Darius, or you're going to be impri- or thrown into the lion's den and killed. That's why we have the lion there. And um, Daniel's not for sale. One of the big problems in this world today is identity theft. I believe it's prophetic. I really do. You can lose your true identity. The enemy's after it right now. Let me give you, let me give you three ways that people lose their identity. People of faith lose their identity. People of faith become like Lot's wife where it seemed like they had an identity in God, but they end up losing their true identity. I'm going to just give you three right now. Number one is peer pressure. Some, Jesus said, receive the word with joy, but when persecution comes because of this new identity, they quickly fall away. They are like a, a, a flower that rises up and then quickly withers away. Peer pressure. Nobody wants to stick out. Nobody wants to be different. When we were with, down in Belize, we, w- we went into the public schools and we were at one school where we had very few workers and there were lots of kids. So ideally, I was not doing stuff with the kids because I wanted our kids to do the ministry, but there were so many kids that I had six 
fifth grade boys of my own that I was in charge of. We, we were just very scattered, and everybody had to take a group. And so I've got, we're sitting at this picnic table, six fifth grade boys. We had told the story. We had done a skit about uh, Samuel coming to Jesse's house, and which one of his sons is going to be the next king, and he's so proud of his sons. And, and, but Jesse has decided his youngest son, David, will not be the next king, because somebody's got to watch the sheep. So David's not even at the party. He's not even invited. And so we're talking about this, and we've got these questions for these kids. I, get, I find out all their names, and, and then I said, tell me a time when you felt like David. You felt rejected, lonely. You felt like you weren't chosen, and you were kind of separated. And none of these kids will answer me. So I finally, I hate doing it, but I call on the kid next to me, and he says, yeah, Never. Ne- never been alone, never been lonely, rejected, never felt left out. Huh. Your whole life. Never, not even at night. No, no, never. And these kids are all looking at each other. They're so, they're so wanting to be cool in front of each other. So I go to the next kid. How about you? No, never. Ne- not Whole life? Whole life? You've never felt lonely, rejected, left out? Never. Guys, it was stunning. Six kids that had never felt lonely, rejected, or left out in their entire life. Amazing. Well, then we got to the next part, which was that God doesn't look like man looks. Man looks at the outward, but God looks at the heart. And I, I, said, I said, one application of that would be that God knows that every one of you just lied to me right now. <laughs> All... All six of you just lied to me. I said, and you can, you can, you can, you can impress me. You might be able to fool me. You might be able to fool each other. But guys, you can't fool God. God doesn't look at the way man looks. He knows the truth. He knows what's going on in your heart. So here is the sweetest thing. So we say a few more things and, and I have them all bow their heads and they're all, they're all on the table like this with their head down and. And I said, God saw David's heart, that David really wanted to please him. And that's why he poured his Holy Spirit on him. The, the Spirit of God that, that keeps, that pushes fear out and brings power, love, and a, a sound mind. And, and I, said, uh, I said, how many of you, you want to please God, and you want God to pour that oil on you today? If that's you, I want you to just... Lift up your head and look into my eyes. And you want, you want to know what happened? All six of those heads rose at the same time and looked me in the eye. They didn't want to be liars because of fear. That, that wasn't the best version of themselves. <laughs> that's one version, but that's not the best version. And do you know this is the struggle today? For all of us, all of us, nobody wants to stick out. Nobody wants to be rejected. Nobody wants to be left out. Nobody wants to be gossiped about. Listen, you, you need to make a decision on this because Jesus said, if you're ashamed of me before people, I'm going to be ashamed of you on that day. You got to decide it's okay to step out. It's okay to be thought of as different. Folks, we're a peculiar people. We're a chosen generation that we might show forth the praises of him. You, you, you've got to decide 
that I'm in, regardless of how people treat me. This is your true identity. This is the best version of yourself. And honestly, in America, because people have died, because of the freedom in this country, the worst that's going to be happen is you're going to get some persecution. They might talk behind your back. Maybe you will even not get the promotion that somebody else got because you're one of these Jesus freak people. But you just, we all need to understand this right now. In many countries of the earth, when they choose to be different, they get killed. People are dying for their faith all over the world right now just because they've taken a step. The same step you and I would take that would cause us from not getting a promotion, it costs them their life. Folks, it's time, to, it's time to, to put down the idol of peer pressure. It's time to put down the idol of the fear of man. Let me give you a, a, a second idol that will steal your identity. Busyness. Listen to this. Jesus said, and those who are plant, where the seed is planted among the thorns, he said, that's those that the cares and the worries of this life choke out the seed. They did receive the word. They did say yes to Jesus. But the cares and the worries of this life choked out that seed so that it could not bring forth fruit. Did you know that right now, right now, you're saying no to the busyness of our culture just by being a church? What is church? It's us gathering together and saying, Jesus is worthy of my time. Jesus is worthy. Pastor Greg prayed it this morning. He's worthy of being first. It is saying no to this call. Has anybody noticed that the urgency of this culture, there would never be time for anything having to do with God? Because you got to eat and drink and marry and be married and build and plant and sow and reap and, and more, 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 more. And you can get so busy with this world and the things of this world and the engagements of this world. There is no time for God. If you have time for God, it's because you made time for God. Every time you have a quiet time where it's just you and Jesus and you take time to just be with Jesus, did you know that you're breaking the idol of busyness that's in our culture? There's another idol in our culture. It's called materialism. Jesus said to some of those sown in the thorns, it's, it's not the cares and the worries of this world, it's the pleasures of this life and the desire for other things. If I get enough money, I can get what I want. I can buy what I want. I can have the bigger, better. I can have the better vacation. I can have the more secure retirement. Everything is around money. Money is the answer. Money is the answer. Did you know that when you give your tithes and offerings, did you know that you're, you're saying no to the idol of material and materialism in our culture? You're, you're breaking it. You're breaking its power over your life? The enemy is trying to steal our identity. But here's the deal. Here's what God does with time and money. <laughs> this is just amazing. See, God doesn't want us to be confused. The essence of the gospel is not what you do for God or what you give to God. The essence of the gospel 
is what God does for us in Christ. It's about grace. So he's not going to allow you to somehow be the hero of this. So here's what he does. If you give your time to God, you, you put him first, you, you, you make church part of your priority, you make quiet time part of your day, here's what he does. He says, if you will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, I'll take care of everything else. I'll give you time. I will open up time. I will be the one in charge of your schedule. Put me first and watch what happens. And all of a sudden, everything that was caving in on you, all of a sudden, I help you with all the things you've been worried about. You put me first with your time. I'll take care of the schedule. You'll find time you didn't even know. We got a young college-age guy, young adult. He was at our house last week. And he's just kicking himself because... He said, my life is so amazing. I finally got my priorities right, and I have a quiet time with God every day, and I, 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 I'm ministering to the young adults and making that a priority. I come to prayer meetings on Tuesday night. He said, my life is awesome. I've got plenty of time for everything. He said, why didn't I get this when I was young? I'm like, bro, you are young. <laughs> you are young. You, you, you've got it. This is, this is something to celebrate. Don't beat yourself up. But he was just amazed at how his life has become ordered because he's put God first in his time. And then with money, listen to Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. This one is really hard to grab, especially for men. Which is why God says about the area of tithing, test me in this. It's the only time you're allowed to test God. Test me in this. I know, man, I know it's hard for you. Test me. You bring in the tithe and watch what happens. Because what will happen is I will take over your finances. And I got resources you don't know about. I'll open up the windows of heaven. I have resources beyond your job. I will rebuke the devourer. Did you know one way you can get ahead financially is to have less expenses? Has anybody ever felt like you work really hard and then it all just goes out to bills and all these things breaking down and all this insurance? To, and da, 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 da. God can rebuke the devourer and he can open the windows of heaven. And he says, honor me. Honor me. Break. You will not just break the power of materialism to steal your heart, but I will become your banker. What a promise. Amazing. Point three, God's presence in the workplace. So I went to this conference. It was in town here. It was at the upper house called Made to Flourish. And it was about God in the marketplace. And this guy that led it was just amazing. But he said, he, said, he, he made a couple things illegal for us as pastors. Number one, we cannot use the word cler clergy and laity to make this distinction that there's, there's clergy that God has set apart and then there's just laity. He said, that distinction is not in scripture. Every, every calling is holy. Every, every person is a minister in God's sight. We're all kings and priests. That's what the Protestant Reformation was about. 
It, it was about, hey, the priesthood is every believer. There's not a few special priests. Every believer has direct access to God. And then he said, no more can you use the words full-time ministry. Because every single believer is in full-time ministry. Every vocation is a vocation done unto God, is holy unto God, and is for God and for his glory. Everybody is in full-time ministry. He said you can use the word vocational ministry, but not there are full-time, it's like there's full-time Christians and there's some part-time Christians. No. We're we're all full-time. God's presence in the workplace. Nebuchadnezzar complained to Daniel. Or actually, it was the wise men complaining to Nebuchadnezzar because he wanted them to tell him what his dream was. And they said, listen, the gods don't dwell among people. The gods aren't here. They're, they can't, we can't tell you what your dream is. And the God, only the gods could, but they don't dwell here. They're up there. And Daniel heard this and says, nope, you got it wrong. God's here. God does dwell among people. God is concerned that about more than church. He's concerned about kings and their dreams and, and people that can't interpret their life. God's presence is here and he has an answer. And Daniel brought the presence of God wherever he was. Colossians chapter 3 verses 22 through 24. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favor, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. 50% of the Roman Empire were slaves. You think you've got a bad job? Think about this. Slaves. That you just do whatever you're told. And Paul says this. You need to make your calling holy. Holy. If you're selling shoes, then make it holy. If you're selling TVs, make it holy. If you're selling insurance, make it holy. It becomes holy when you work for the right boss. Stop working for man. Work for Jesus. Do your work wherever you are for Jesus. Do it with all your heart as worship to him. Make a contribution to this world, whatever service you're providing. Make a contribution to this world and do it with all your heart, for you are serving the Lord. And there is a reward that is coming from him for your work as you do it for him. This is where revival 
will happen. Revival will never happen if our mentality is that if anybody's going to get saved, it has to be a church. And our job, pastor, he needs to preach and do, bring God's presence. And our job is just to try to get people into this building. We'll never, we'll never advance that way. We'll add, but we'll never multiply. Every one of us is bringing God's presence. Every one of us is in the workplace. Every one of us has people around us that are getting dreams like Nebuchadnezzar. And they don't know what they mean. They cannot understand or interpret their life. And just like Nebuchadnezzar, the first people they're going to go to is, are their friends. Nebuchadnezzar, first he got all of his own wise men and they couldn't help him. But he couldn't rest. Did you know that God can make a non-Christian not be able to rest? They got things happening in their life that do not make sense. Their friends have no idea. And here's what I do. I go to the bar. And that, what, do, what, do, what do non-Christians have for each other? You know, you need to numb the pain. Or you need to get back at somebody or be bitter at somebody or leave somebody. People, people know that's not the right interpretation. So they're going to find somebody that's got something more than they've got. Where's that going to happen? Because we've... We've lived differently. We've lived for a different boss. Daniel works in, in Daniel 6. He is a, one of the administrators in Babylon. So he's got a government job. But he works at it with all of his heart. He's not negligent. He's diligent. He does his job in a right way. When they try to bring him down because of jealousy, they have to find something about his spiritual life because his work life is flawless. Guys, our work is very important. It's our worship. How you work. God is watching how you work. Today's proverb was Proverbs 18.9. It says, he who is slack in his work is brother to him who destroys. God is watching how we do our work. Listen to, listen to Proverbs 11.1. 1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. What does that mean? This is about the workplace. This is how they sold stuff. They weighed stuff out. And if you had a false balance, that was wicked in God's sight. When we cheat at work, when we compromise at work, when we lie at work, when we become part of deception at work, it is wickedness in God's sight. And then it says this. I love this. But a just weight is his delight. <gasps> Just you not cheating on a test brings joy to the heart of God when you could get away with it. When you do, choose to be honest with people in business, when you could have gotten more money and you choose to just give them the truth and charge them what they actually owe, God's heart starts beating faster. Why? Because you're working for him now, not money. You're not working for what you can get away with. You're working for him, and he sees it. You think God's only pleased when we sing worship songs? No, no, he watches work all day, all day long, all day, every day. He's calling us to shine. The greatest mission force is people that go to work every week. The greatest mission field is the workplace. So July 11th, it's coming up this, this July 4th, uh, we don't have prayer meeting. July 11th, we have a marketplace 
prayer meeting. Because God wants to anoint employers. He wants to anoint entrepreneurs. He wants to anoint employees. He wants his presence at your workplace. He wants his favor on you shining at the workplace. Just like Joseph. Do you know that Joseph at work, that a blessing came on all of Potiphar's house? The whole business got blessed because Joseph was there. It says it. It says it in the Bible. Joseph was there. The whole place got blessed. We want to pray that over you. We want to anoint you. We want to release you. We want to prophesy. This is how the kingdom multiplies. We've got to get a vision of God outside of church. August 18th, it's a Friday night. We're bringing uh, John Bevere here. It's called Driven by Eternity. It's going to be at the Eastside Princeton Club region-wide meeting about God's presence in the workplace. God's presence in the greatest missionary force on earth. All right, I want to I close with chariots of fire. So 1924, there was a guy named Eric Little at the Paris Olympics. And they made a movie about this in 1981 called Chariots of Fire. But here's the story. Eric Little is the son of missionaries to China. Him and his sister Jenny are, are raised in China, but they're from Scotland originally, and they come back to Scotland to do education, but they're supposed to go back to China to be missionaries because that's what Christians do. Christians, if you're really on fire, you do full-time missions. But there's a problem. He's really fast. And he starts training at college and he's like the fastest guy in Scotland and um, his sister Jenny just can't grab it. He, she, he, he, he wants to be in the Olympics and she's like, she's like, Eric, we're Christians. You need to be a missionary in China. And he says this. He says, Jenny, let me, I don't know how to explain it except, except this. I feel God's pleasure when I run. God made me fast, and I feel his pleasure. I don't know how, but it pleases God that I run. And it just, it's a new thought that God can be pleased, not just in church, but out here doing natural things in his presence. Whatever you do, do it unto the Lord, and it's pleasing to him. It becomes holy to him. And so he gets signed up for the 100 meters in the 1924 Paris Olympics. And the whole world is waiting for this because there's a guy from England. There's two guys from Great Britain, one from England, Harold Abrams, and the other from Scotland, Eric Little. And there's two guys from America. And these four, they don't know which is the fastest man. Little has beaten Harold Abrams. And so everybody is waiting, and they're on the ship over, and devastating news comes. And here's the news. The heat to qualify for the 100 meters is going to be run on Sunday. And Eric belongs to a denomination where Sunday you don't work, play, do anything except church on Sunday. And it, it's a very 
strong, it would be against his conscience. It would be against how he was raised. You do not do anything on Sunday except worship. And so he comes in to the committee and says, I, ha- I have to withdraw for the 100 meters. And the, the, the Olympic committee cannot grab a hold of this. Like, son, are you kidding me? You've trained for four years. The whole world's waiting to see you run. Can't you, can't you take Monday off instead of Sunday? Can't you find a way around? He says, no, you don't, you don't, it doesn't work like that. I would be violating my own conscience if I ran on Sunday. I have to withdraw. So one of his teammates comes. He comes to the Olympic Committee. He says, listen. He said, everybody wants to see Eric run. He said, I've already got my medal. I got my medal in, in, in broad, drum, broad jump. And I, I, I'm in the 400 meters. What if Eric took my place? And the Olympic Committee is like, you know what? That could work. 400 meters is being run on a Wednesday and so it won't be a conflict and everybody will still get to see him run. But So they made this switch and everybody said, you don't, you don't do this. You don't, you don't train for the 100 and then run the 400. 400 is a completely different race. And so he was not favored to even show as, as, as gold, silver, or bronze. And so the morning of the race... And it's really cool because there's actually footage you can go back to on YouTube to get the actual 1924 race as well as the Chariots of Fire version in 1981. The morning of the race, the American runner, Jackson Schultz, comes over and he gives Eric a note. And it's 1 Samuel 2.30. And it says this, He who honors me, I will honor. And he starts running the 400 meters. And he goes out way too fast. 200 meters, he runs the 200 meters in 20, just over 22 seconds. The announcers are like, there's, there's no way he could finish. He's going to burn out. He, he made the, the classic mistake a, a sprinter would make. You come out too fast. Here's what happened. He just kept going faster. And he ended up setting a world's record for the 400 meters. Now, the funny thing about it is his favorite verse was Isaiah 40, 31. That those who wait on the Lord are going to renew their strength. They're going to run and not become weary. The announcer said it was as if he was inspired. Now, if that wasn't enough, that God would make a statement to the whole world in the workplace, in the secular realm, through Eric Little in 1924, if that wasn't enough, a movie was made about it in 1981. Do you know that in 1981, the Oscars gave the best picture to Chariots of Fire? And that story was retold of what it looks like when the people of God have their identity in God in an uncompromising way and are still out among people and not afraid to be out there. Come on, folks. 
I get excited. If we could have every head bowed and every eye closed. You know, maybe you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ. Know this, Jesus rose from the dead. Your true identity is in him. He loves you, he died for you, he created you, and he wants you. Make no mistake about it. The Bible says he stands at the door and knocks. If anyone hears his voice, he will come in. He, your sins are not keeping you from him. He wants to forgive your sins. He died for your sins. He is not holding your sins against you. It's only, it's only pride that keeps us from him. We all need a savior. We've all sinned in many, many ways. And we need a savior. If Jesus is knocking on your heart right now, if you know, it's not just man talking, but God is knocking on your heart. God is knocking on your life and saying, let me in, let me in. And you want to open that door today? This is between you and God. That's why I've got every head bowed and eye closed. But somebody help me pray the prayer. And I'd love to help you. So if that is you, would you just raise your hand real high right now, long enough for me to see it? And we're going to pray that prayer all over this place. Just by upraised hand. Got you, bro. Anybody else by upraised hand? Jesus is knocking and you want to give your life to him. Thank you, ma'am. God bless you. Anybody else by upraised hand? Holy Spirit is here as Jesus' representative. I got you, buddy. God bless you. Anybody else by upraised hand? This This is the best version of you, by the way. Anybody else? We're gonna pray in just a moment like those that raise their hand and just slip your hand over your heart right now and pray something like this in your own words. Dear Jesus, thank you for dying for me. Thank you that you have been raised from the dead. Lord, you have been trying to get a hold of me. You have been knocking on my door. God, right now I open my door by faith. I ask you to come in. I ask you to save me. I receive your gift of eternal life. I repent of being my own Lord and having my identity in me. Jesus, I make my identity in you. Would you pour your grace out on me and make me yours? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we all stand up? The second call is for you and me when we're not at church. Would you just open your arms like this if you're ever not at church? If you're here 24-7, you should not be part of this prayer. Lord, you delight when we work with all of our hearts for you, when we work honestly, when we work fairly, when we are careful to be kind to people. Father, you want to come as we honor you. You want to come and honor us even in our workplace. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray over all of us, including me. God, don't let the enemy steal our identity. 
Lord, we break that idolatry of the fear of man, that peer pressure that is so worried about sticking out and having somebody. We break that thing in Jesus' name. Father, we break the busyness of this culture that says the cares and the worries of this world demand all your time. There's no time for anything else. Lord, we break that thing in Jesus' name. We make time for you. We make time for you every week. We make time for you in our daily schedule. We seek you first. We put the kingdom of God first and we trust you, God, that all these other things you know we need, you know, and you will, you will be over all the other cares and worries that we have. Father, we break the idol of materialism in Jesus' name, over our own hearts. You said wherever our treasure is, that is where our heart is. It's not the song we sing. It's where our treasure is. Lord, we break that idol in Jesus' name. We break it in Jesus' name. Lord, I, I ask for liberty. It says you love cheerful givers. Lord, as we live, give, let us be declaring our freedom from the idol of materialism, from the idol of the pleasures of this life and the desires for other things, Lord, we break that thing in Jesus' name. And Lord, I, I, I break that spirit of retirement. There's no such thing as retirement in the kingdom. There's reassignment. There's reassignment. It's okay to be looking forward to the day you're reassigned. But there is no retirement. and That's an American thing. That's not a kingdom thing. I break that thing in Jesus' name. Enemy tries to get us to think we're old and we're just about running out and it's time for us to sit on the couch. I break that thing in Jesus' name. Lord, for all those who have been reassigned, let there be fresh fire for that new assignment. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Woo! Guys, we're going to have prayer teams up here if you'd like more prayer. Otherwise, have a great day. God bless you.